Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, as we look at a story where Jesus heals a blind man, and I've titled this message, How the Blind See, a One More Miracle Before the Cross. Now, How the Blind See, One More Miracle Before the Cross. Uh, for those of you I haven't met, my name is uh, Chaplain uh, Daniel Braswell. been on the island uh, for a few months with my family and been serving uh, here in chapel and was back uh, recently from a, from a training exercise for about a month or so and then did ROM. So I'm glad to be back with you. I've, I've led some worship and, and done some of those things, but I believe this is the first time that I'm, I'm preaching and I'm excited uh, to be here. And let me also say that what a joy it's been for, uh, for you as a church family and also the chaplains that are here. Thank you so much for welcoming our family and making us part of the team and part of the family as uh, we're able to kind of plug in here at Main Post Chapel. We are certainly uh, glad to be here. Today's going to be a transition for us in terms of our preaching schedules and rotations and things because this is the last Sunday for a while that we'll be in the Gospel of Mark. Believe it or not, next Sunday, right after this week of Thanksgiving, begins the, the, the Advent celebration, the preparation for the, for the worship of, of the newborn king of, of Christmas and, and Christ being born. We are, we are right there. It, it is pretty much that time of year. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you can decorate this week. If you haven't, you have my blessings for what it's worth. Go for it. Because next week, we're going to look at the peace, love, hope, and joy of, of Advent and all that. And then after that, in January, I believe we're going to be doing a, a series with the idea of, of Chapel 101. What does it mean for us to be a chapel? And then sometime after that, way into the new year, we'll be back into Mark. It's interesting that we end here, and I think it's appropriate, because here in Mark chapter 10, what you have before you in the passage we're about to read, and we're going to begin here in just a minute in verse number 46, is you have the last miracle that Jesus performs before he sets his face to Jerusalem, He's at this point in Jericho. He's 15 miles away. And this is the, the moment where he rides into Jerusalem, and this begins the Passover week. So this is the last miracle that we see of Jesus. Uh, as we've already said, he is healing a man who was born, or a man who was blind named Bartimaeus. And as I read this story, and, and, and you'll see it in just a minute, one of the things that struck out, stuck out to me was that this story... It's not just about blindness, but it's about one who, who hears. Uh, when I served, uh, before coming here to, to, to Hawaii, uh, our last assignment was at Walter Reed uh, Military Medical Center and interacted with a lot of patients, of course, and was able to talk to patients who were, in fact, blind. And they would talk about how in their blindness, as they became blind sometime in life, or most of the time it was an older patient who just who lost some sight, although there was one, a tragedy where, 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 where someone came blind. They talked about how the other senses would, would be heightened at times, and I'm always amazed at how our senses can really kick in uh, sometimes in different ways. I personally have never raised a child from birth. Uh, you, you may or may not know, my wife and I, we have four children. Three of them are on the island with us, and the youngest of our, of our children, Shamir, she was already four years old. 
So everybody came. I missed some of the experiences that many of you people experience with, with a baby and waking up in the middle of the night and changing diapers and all those kinds of things. But it's always been fascinating to me to talk to moms. Again, another thing I've never experienced and I guess never will. But being uh, talking to moms, here's what I found out. It's interesting that you can take a young lady who's never been a mom. She can sleep all night long. It's incredible. Just, just like, you know, you know, say you're a teenager and you're a female and you sleep just like teenagers sleep and you grow up and become adult and you sleep. They all tell me that something happens and some of you men who have, who have experienced having, you know, having babies, can something happened. Somehow in the middle of the night, you can be in one of these big long ranch houses kind of like some of us live in and maybe the baby's room's way over here and maybe your bedroom's way over here and what happens in the middle of the night if that baby makes the slightest sound? Mom's ears perk up. How did, that, how did that possibly wake her up? Because she, she knows the cry of her child. It's interesting as you read this, I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to how Jesus picks up on the cry of this man. And he picks up on this idea of blindness. Let's read it together, verse 46. He says this, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, he was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, he stopped. And he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. Verse number 50, watch what happens. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, immediately, he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Today we're going to look at the last miracle before the cross. And in just a moment, I'm going to share with you, I think, four lessons that you and I can take from this last miracle uh, before the cross. Before we get to, to those lessons, I want to go back and, and let's talk about what's happened in Mark uh, so far. Last week, uh, Chaplain Roman, uh, Chaplain, um, no, not Chaplain Roman, Chaplain Ronalds preached, thank you, on this request of James and John wanting to sit on Jesus' right and left. And in the context of that, Jesus makes his statement that, that he's telling his disciples that he is going to be handed over to the scribes and the chief priests and he's going he's to be killed and on the third day he's going to rise again. Well, so some of you who's been following our sermon series, you know that if you go all the way back to Mark chapter 8, that's the first time that Jesus makes that prediction. And he makes the prediction three times. He is trying to get the disciples to understand that all his ministry is heading to a focal point and that focal point is the cross. There's another story in Mark chapter 8 about Jesus healing a blind man. 
It is in that same chapter that Peter confesses Christ, and right there is when he does it, when he, the first time Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. Then, if you read to the very next chapter, Mark chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, I'll just summarize it for you. The disciples have an argument in Mark chapter 9 about which one of them is going to be the greatest. Isn't it interesting that Jesus just got through talking about suffering? The disciples want to talk about who's going to be the greatest. Well, he says again. He talks about, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to suffer, and then I'm going to rise again. And then Jesus reaches out to the children, and the disciples don't want him talking to the children. And Jesus says, no, let the children come to me. Jesus has a conversation Mark records with a rich man, the rich young ruler, remember, who went away sad because he had great wealth. And then last week, as Chaplain Runnels was preaching, we, we learned about the last story where Jesus, interestingly enough, he asked the same question that he just asked this blind man. If you go back and look in chapter 10, when James and John, they come to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, we have a question for you. And what does Jesus say? He says, what do you want me to do for you? And that's when they ask to sit on the right and sit on the left. At this point in the story, Jesus, as we saw in verse 46, they're in Jericho. Jericho is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. It's an old city. In fact, some people think it's the, currently the oldest inhabited city on the planet. And Jesus is there. This story is recorded in Matthew, and it's recorded in Luke. And we get a little bit of different uh, information about the entire picture of what's going on here. But only in Mark do we get the name Bartimaeus. Bar just means son of. And in fact, it tells us it's son of Timaeus. For example, when we adopted our children, we lived in a small town, and nobody knew our brand-new children, but they knew Cheryl and I. So when they saw the children, what would they say? Those are the Brazel's kids. That's son of Daniel. Oh, that's Daniel's boys. That's Daniel's little girl. Fast forward a few years. When we were living in Maryland, uh, my family, we joined a local church, and I was a lot of times serving at the hospital and preaching at the hospital. I wasn't there on Sundays, and the tides got turned, and, and I was Michael's dad. I was Shamira's dad. The tides kind of turned. But in this case, we know who Bartimaeus is. He's the son of Timaeus. Apparently, Mark wanted us to know that, that this is a, a named person here, which doesn't normally happen in Mark. Well, that's where we're at. We are, we are just moments away, as you read the story, from Jesus literally making his way up to Jerusalem on the, on the mount there. With that said, as we look at this story, I want to share with us today four truths that we can learn from the last miracle before the cross. The last miracle Jesus actually performs, or at least that we have recorded that he performed, there's four lessons we can learn. Number one is this. Here's point number one. You and I, we can cry to Jesus for mercy. We can cry to Jesus for mercy. If you look at this story, that's exactly what the blind man did. It says he's a beggar, and he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. As I was studying for this passage, I was interested in, in, in the idea of beggars in the first century, and I came across this information. It's a little different than, than what, we, what we see today. In the first century, if you were a beggar, you essentially had no way to take care of yourself. Example would be this blind man. Other examples in the Bible you probably remember is the man who was lame, remember, who couldn't take himself up to the pool. In other words, in the first century, kind of like today, I remember 
I remember the, the most honest uh, person who ever asked me for money. I'll never forget it. It was down in Savannah, Georgia. He was, he, we're down there in downtown. And, and like, like we experience a lot when we go around, you, ha, you have people who are begging and asking for money. And, and he told me he needed some, some gas for his car. And I, and I said, okay, well, let's, he, oh, my, my car is just down the road. And so I, I said, okay, well, let's go to your car. And I, kept, I started walking that way. And most honest, one, honest man I ever met, he said, I'm sorry, sir, I don't, I don't have a car down there. I just want some money. I'm not going to lie. I was like, well, I appreciate your honesty. Well, in the first century, that would have just, that would have just not happened. Uh, for someone uh, to beg, it would have been someone who was in desperate need. They didn't have programs back then and things that we, like we can do today. If you, if you were blind or you were, you, were, you were lame or you had something physically wrong with you and you didn't have family to take care of you, you, you were just at the mercy of, of, of others. And that's where we find this man. He's he's begging. Isn't it interesting that the stories prior to this blind man have disciples arguing about who's the greatest? Isn't it interesting that when Jesus asked those disciples, what do you want me to do for you? What do they say? Well, we want one of us to sit on the right and one on the left. Jesus is pointing out in this passage, I believe, that on the one hand, God is not interested in you and I coming up to him and and doing what we can do to jockey for our own positions. God is not interested in in, in you and I finding out how high we can make it up the ladder, so to speak. But I can tell you what God is, is interested in. God is interested in a desperate cry of need from his children. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. I can't help but think you don't have to turn there, but this passage in 1 Peter says it this way. It says, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Bartimaeus understood his need to cry out uh, to this son of David. He he understood something about him. By the way, he's the only person in Mark that that really uses the term son of David. He he understands something about Jesus being uh, messianic. He at least knew something about Jesus being being special, something that he desperately needed from Jesus. As we think about the fact that you and I can call to God for mercy, where are we? Are you and I, are we like James and John, calling out to God with a question like, we're doing him a favor? Or are we like Bartimaeus, knowing that we're destitute, knowing that we're blind, and knowing that we need mercy? You and I can call out to God in our times of need. Number two, the second point is this. Wouldn't it be sad if we called out and called out and nobody ever came? That's not how it is, though. Look at, look at point number two in verse 49. Jesus stops to meet needs. Jesus stops to meet needs. Go to verse number 49, and let's look at what it says. Jesus, it just simply says he stopped. And when we read the story, what did we see? This man's crying out. He heard about Jesus, and he's crying out. And what does the crowd do? It says they rebuked him, and it says they told him to be silent. They're trying to to shut him up. But Jesus stopped. As I pondered that, as I was studying, it is simply arresting to me to think about the fact that Jesus is heading to the most significant event in his, in his entire earthly life. 
He is preparing his heart and his mind and his very soul to die for the sins of the world. He is on the precipice of that moment. Yet in the middle of that, one blind beggar calls out to him, and the Bible says that Jesus stopped. I don't know about you, but when I've got a big event coming up or something very important, I've got to focus on it. I can't, I can't take time to do other things. What is, what, is, what is our lesson from this? Jesus stops to meet needs. Here's the thing. People were part of Jesus' business. You see, in this story, the people, the crowd... They, this blind man, they shut the blind man out. They shut him out. But Jesus, he sought him out. This is a great reversal, isn't it? On the one hand, when the disciples are rebuking the children, he says, no, let them come to me. Who's going to be the greatest? Remember what Jesus said. You've got to serve if you're going to be the greatest. Whoever's going to be last will be first. From the crowd, we see how easy it is sometimes to dismiss the expendable. But what we learn is, as one commentator put it, I'll say it this way, listen to this statement, the single cry of this beggar is heard over the shallow hallelujahs of the crowd. Remember what's going to take place after this story. If you read on in the story, he's going into Jerusalem. Remember, we won't get too far ahead, but palm branches and all that worshiping, But when it was all said and done, that was the same people who led to crucify him, crucify him. In the middle of all that, we have one man who's crying out in desperate need to God. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus simply stops. I can't help but think of other times in Mark where he did the same thing. He stopped at the tax table of Matthew. He responded to the touch in a big crowd of one woman in the crowd. He took time to listen to the rich young ruler. He took time to listen to the children. And Jesus stops to meet needs. Do you and I, do we stop and see the world around us? Maybe the insignificant where God may be doing a work. God is always at work, all around us. Do we stop? to see where that takes place. Lessons from this blind man. We can cry out to God, number one. Number two, Jesus stops to meet needs. But then point number three, Jesus, he brings healing and salvation. Point number three, Jesus brings healing and salvation. We already mentioned that the blind man, Bartimaeus, he calls Jesus the son of David. This is a link between this time in, his, in, in the story and the triumphal entry that's about to come as he triumphs into Jerusalem. He's the only person who calls Jesus the son of David. I can't help but think of Luke chapter 1 where the angel said that to Mary, he will be called great and the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. As he calls out, he says, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus say in that passage? Let's look back at it. Look with me at verse number 50. And throwing off his cloak, we'll come back to that, he sprang up and he said, he came to Jesus, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? The same question he asked those disciples. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, 
let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. One of the good things about God is that, is that his character is always the same and how good he is to us, isn't he? I can't help but think of the Psalms. I'll share a couple with you. Psalm 17, 6 said it this way. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Like a mother who loves their children, like we talked about earlier, he's attuned to our, to our, to our desperate need of salvation. Psalm 71 said it this way. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. And notice we're saying that Jesus brings healing and salvation. I want you to look at what Jesus says there. He says, go your way. Your faith has, the English Standard Version says, made you well. But this is not just a story of, of, of resolution. It's not just a story of healing. But it's a story of revelation. It's a, it's a story of salvation. Mark could have easily, there's another Greek word for healing that's different than this word. This word is the word that can also mean salvation. It's the Greek word that not just implies physical healing, but it implies spiritual healing. And when you study it in detail, it also carries this idea. It is that the current state of what's going on has implications that, that are ongoing. He says your faith has made you well. Your faith has, 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 has saved you. Jesus uses the same statement in Mark chapter 5 when he heals the hemorrhaging uh, woman. He makes it the same thing. It's a single reality. It is this man's faith. Aren't you glad as we think about Thanksgiving this week, I can't think of a better thought to be in our hearts and our minds, is that Jesus brings healing and salvation. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is no accident that, that the Bible keeps using this idea of blindness and darkness and light to picture salvation. Uh, salvation is, is pictured as that because darkness is, is we're in a desperate need. We can't produce our own light. I, I can't make myself see if I am blind. I need something external to do that. And guess what? That, that something is Jesus Christ. That someone is Jesus Christ. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This God that we see healing blind Bartimaeus who says your faith has made you well gives us a picture of when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God saves us based on the, on the, of what he's about to do here in this story, and that is down the cross and three days later rise again. Hallelujah. Number four. Number four. Let's look at the response of this blind man. And, and, I, and I'll just simply say it this way. Number four, the response of faith brings a changed life. It brings a changed life. Notice, notice very simply what it says. It says immediately, which is verse 52, one of Mark's favorite words. Immediately he recovered his sight. And it just simply says that he followed him on the way. But I want you to go back and, and notice something else that I pointed to very quickly in verse 50. What does it say about this man? It says he threw off his cloak and he sprang up and came to Jesus. As opposed to disciples who want to brush away children, as opposed to disciples who argue about who's the greatest, as opposed to disciples who get ticked off at James and John because they're trying to jockey for position, this man 
instead of trying to get more, what little he has, he throws away. Why is that? Because he understands that he is destitute. He is blind. Compared to the other stories in Mark, the blind man has more vision than anybody else. My dad is legally blind. I forget what the numbers are, but it's like 20 over somewhere in the hundreds. So the, so the joke is, if, so, if, we're looking, if we would be looking for something in the house and my dad found it, he would say, ah, I'll leave it to the blind man to find such and such. Well, in this story, it is, in fact, the blind man who seems to have more spiritual sight than the people around him. The question for you and me is this idea of our blindness. Jesus heals lepers. He heals the blind. He heals the lame. He's trying to give a picture that you and I without Christ are totally needy. What we have to ask ourselves is, is that really me? Do I really need the Lord that bad? Or do I have something, am I just so good? Realizing that spiritual vision is coming to a point where we realize we need God. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is what makes all the difference. Blind Bartimaeus' story, it's really the story of every Christian. It's really the story of every Christian. Isaiah 60, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, uses that, that idea of light. He says, arise, shine, your light has come. Darkness covers the earth, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light. His faith brought a change. As he left, what little he had, he left it because he knew he was going to that pearl of great price, as I said in other places, uh, the, the thing that is more valuable than anyone, anything else, and that is God himself. That is Christ himself. Well, let's go back and look at the end of this passage. It says he recovered his sight, and it just simply says that he followed him on the way. Again, juxtaposed with the other stories that came previous to this, you see, people, you see Jesus healing people, you see Jesus doing all these great teachings that we've been preaching through, but what you notice is that for the most part, people didn't really follow, they just, it just kind of happened and then the story would kind of move on. But in this case, this blind man, he decides he's going to follow Jesus. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 18, remember I told you this story is told in three different places. A piece of information that comes from Luke that I believe is very important is this. And I'll read it to you. Luke 18, 43 said this about the same story. He was following him on the road, glorifying God. And then it says, and all the other people were praising God. Uh, this man has not only been healed, he's become a worshiper himself. Like we've already said, the blind man had better sight than those in these other stories. As we get ready to close, I'll share this with you. Jesus asked him that same question. What do you want me to do for you? And as I was studying this and talking with some others about it, it was brought up to me, why did Jesus ask that question? Uh, did Jesus already know the answer to that question? I'm going to go with yes. This is the same Jesus who in other parts of the Gospels, it would say things like, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said da-da-da-da-da. The Pharisees were thinking to themselves, X, Y, Z, Jesus, knowing their thoughts. My point is, Jesus probably knew the answer to the question. It's a common question. What do you want me to do for you? 
But I can't help but think that the question is not just for blind Bartimaeus, and not just for us to see the faith of this man who realized his destitution, who realized his desperate need of a Savior, but I think it's a question for you and for me. And I'm going to go ahead and say, if we could say that God is asking us that question, he already knows what our answer is because he knows our heart. But my thought is this, the response of faith brings a changed life. What is your answer to that question to the Lord? What do you want me to do for you? Are we in a moment in our life where we're, we're, we're worrying about who's going to be the greatest and am I going to get this, am I going to get that, am I better than this person? Or are we to a point where we realize that we are in desperate need of a Savior? Uh, maybe you're here and, and, and you're not a Christian. Well, I encourage you to come to a point in your life where, where you've heard this message and you say, you know, I realize that I'm a sinner, I'm blind, and I need Christ to save me. I need Him to forgive me of my sins. Maybe you're here and you're like me and you're a Christian and you've been saved, but when you hear that question, you say, you know what? I need to answer that question the way that the Lord would have me answer that question and turn my thoughts to Him. Maybe to be that one who stops and meets needs. Uh, maybe that one who, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes we like to try to figure it all out ourselves. Maybe we're those who just simply need to cry out and say, God, I need you. Maybe that's what we need to do. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song that reminds us that our life began when death was arrested, talking about this very story that heads us to the cross. After we sing, um, I'd be available to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you in any way that God's uh, led on your heart. Our other chaplains would be willing to do the same thing. With all this said, as we look at the last miracle before Jesus, I simply ask that question that the Lord, I believe, asks us. What do you want me to do for you? How are we going to respond to this message from the Lord? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you seek after us. Even in those times we're not looking for you, you, you haven't left us. You continue to seek. God, for those who are your children who are crying out to you, you hear us. Uh, God, I pray for the many needs here in our congregation. Maybe there's people who are crying out to you for all kinds of things, desperate things. God, I pray that you would hear those prayers. God, I pray for those who may need to see because they're blind. God, only you can make the blind see. Only, only God could do something like that. God, I pray for our spiritual blindness that you'd give us sight. I pray that now we would turn our focus to the cross and that you would lead us and guide us. Heavenly Father, I pray this week as we think about our celebration of Thanksgiving. Uh, as we eat and as we gather, I pray that we would also ponder what a great salvation we have. Once I was blind, God, but now, <laughs> now I see. And God, that makes all the difference. Help that to truly permeate our hearts with Thanksgiving. Be with us as we worship you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.